everybody. I'm Andy. I'm a midwife with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And I'm Jaylynn. I'm one of the other midwives with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. And welcome to Midwife Monday. Yes, welcome. Happy Mother's Day. Late Happy Mother's Day. You had a nice one. I did. We had two babies on Mother's Day. Great verse. One of the moms are really shy, so she didn't want their picture on Facebook. But it was a really cool birth, and her baby was born in call. You always get the call birds. I, I do. To be honest with you, I only like felt like, because things went really fast, so I felt the baby coming out, and I felt the baby in the sack. But I was like behind, so I really didn't see it. But our, what was cool was her husband and sister could see the baby coming through in the sack, and they were just like, oh, my God. So, so pretty. Cool. And then, you know, she reached down and get her baby. Because we really encourage our families to catch their own baby. So she reached down and get her baby. And she actually has to take the sack off of her. And they were like, oh, my God. It was so easy to take off of. How can a baby, how can the bag be so strong that the baby can come out in it, but then so easy just to Because it's a perfect design. It is a perfect design. And I agree. It is kind of cool. So if any of you guys get a chance to take the video off, um, it really literally just happens like that. You just touch it and go like this, and it just comes off. It's very, really cool. very cool. I'm so, glad you got to experience that. Yeah, so they got to experience it. It was really cool. Um, so it was a great birth, beautiful. And then our other one, I wanted to talk about this because sometimes people are so harsh on the hospital. And this was a hospital birth. She had some other issues, not pregnancy-related, that she ended up in the hospital for. And then to labor while she was there um, and I'm going to give a shout out to Mamar Home in the Woodlands because they were amazing with her even though she had a couple of c-sections before um, two and then she had she's had two normal births after that and so they didn't even bat an eye about her wanting a vaginal birth Beautiful. so I really liked that um, they did say they wouldn't induce her, they wouldn't give her any Pitocin, which, yay, I'm on board for anyways. Um, and she went into labor on her own, and because of the issues she was having, she had an epidural, and that went well. The nursing staff was really good about getting her in different positions, and normal labor. Fantastic. Normal birth. So it really be. beautiful. And she had, you know, as home birthers are, um, sometimes I feel like... Um, in general, there's a perception that home birthers aren't educated about birth, all the things, but they are, right? And I know especially our clients because we go through everything with them. Um, so they're really educated. So when the nursing staff had said, hey, when you have the baby, we're going to put the baby on this blanket and we're going to rub the baby and do all those things. And um, the client said, well, I really like that plan. I want you just to put the baby skin to skin with me. We'll put the blanket over on top of the baby and I'll rub my baby. They didn't blink an eye. They said, okay. And her husband, this was going to be their last baby, so he really wanted to receive the baby, catch the baby. And the doctor, Dr. Glenn, going to give you a shout out. You did such a great job with the family. Um, and he's so respectful. Like, before he ever touched her, he always asked permission, and then he would talk through what he was doing. Um, excellent. He was amazing. So, he had said, well, if baby comes out nicely and there's no shoulder dystocia, they were a little worried about that because it was going to be a big baby, because all our babies have been big, then, then, I'll let you, then you'll catch the baby as soon as the shoulder's out. 
And he did. He goes, okay, Dad, come on over. And then Dad got to receive his baby and put the baby on that her chest. That makes me happy. I know. It was so beautiful. And then they just left the baby alone. The baby was doing perfect. And they just got to love on their baby. And their other request was then not to cut the cord until after the placenta. Which, y'all, that's a big deal in the hospital because they like to be done. Right? And they did it. He was so patient. He said, okay. And he just stood back. Wasn't even like being impatient, pull on the cord. He just stood back and watched them love on their baby and interacted beautifully with them. Um, made some jokes with them about things that had gone on earlier. It was really beautiful. Um, so, and they waited to cut the cord until after the placenta was born, which was all their big things. For the birth that they wanted. That and makes me so happy for them. And they got it. So, yay. Big shout out to them. And how respectful and beautiful. And to know that um, us people in the home birth, we have our own vision of what birth should be. But to know that we can have the birth you want in the hospital. You just have to have a, a voice. Yes. And hopefully a team that's willing to work with you. Yep. I'm just, I'm so hopeful that it's getting Better and better and better. Yeah. And it was interesting because they had said, the family had told me that um, the staff there had said, yeah, we've noticed that home birth has gotten really big around here. And it has. In the Houston area, it's more than doubled since COVID. So I think the hospital systems around, and I think we've noticed that because mm -hmm. they've reached out, are accepting the fact that, hey, home birth is here to stay. And they're going to have to work with the community. And I think they're trying. I do too. They're not always successful, but I think they're trying. And they were always really conscientious of what her choices were. And I really appreciated that. Yay. Yay. So shout out to Lamar and Herman the Woodlands. Good job. Beautiful. I don't know if they want our shout out, but they got it. <laughs> they got it. Um, I have a small little thing I want to add. It has nothing to do with that, but I heard about it and went, what? Y'all. What are people doing? So I don't know if you watched Shameless. Oh, yeah. Shameless. The, um, the patriarch of the show has an alcohol issue. Frank. Yes. And his body starts shutting down. So he can't drink the alcohol anymore. So he puts a tube in his butt and that's the way he gets drunk, right? Through yeah. like an enema. And I've heard of that before. Yeah. People letting it absorb that way, which is interesting. But I just saw now it's called the human decanter. It's a sexual act. People are... Why do you know these things? I don't know. But I don't Where do this. Where do you hear that? do you hear about these things? I don't know. I've never come things. across these things in my life. <laughs> you need to get out there, girl. You need to get out there. No. I don't want to pollute my brain. So, what they're doing is they're putting in a catheter, emptying the bladder of any urine. Then they're keeping the catheter in and pouring in wine or alcohol, whatever, back through the urethra into the bladder. Then they're upside down in the catheter and letting the alcohol that it was in the bladder come back out into somebody's mouth. And thus both kind of getting intoxicated. One, because it was absorbed through the body, and the other one, they're drinking it out of somebody's pee hole. Well, out of the catheter that's coming out of their pee hole, the human decanter. So all what? of that, okay, you want to oh do the gosh. things, you want to put the tube in your urethra, you want to fill that, you want to put, uh, whatever, do you. But here's the problem, what ERs are seeing is a drastic increase in You're the worst UTIs they've ever yeah. seen because of the amount of sugar and the oh, yeah. things that grow in alcohol. 
Yeah. Um, so Plus, there's bacteria all the time in our don't bodies. Don't do that. Don't be a human decanter. Yeah, because there's bacteria in our body that will double. There's normal bacteria. It's only when it grows out of balance that it becomes an infection. And you're just feeding. What is flying around here? Then you're just feeding. Oh. oh, it's such a bad idea. And you know, guys, I'm normally on board. Wear your hose and antlers. Do what you want to do. Have a jolly good time getting it done. Don't do the humidity canter. It's a bad idea for your health. Who comes up with these things? People that are bored. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Our society is so rich that we have time to think about things like this. <laughs> this is... It's... In, in theory... It's an interesting idea, right? Because there's a whole, there's a whole community of people that like to pee on each other, and they like that. And this is like a way for it not to be pee. It's like wine, which is kind of romantic. But you know that the bladder no. always fills. You so just empty it, it's and it mix. always. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's so gross. <laughs> now you really gross me out. Y'all do you? Me. Do you? But don't do that because you're gonna get a whole flaming UTI and you're gonna hate life. It's gonna be bad. All uh, right. So we're not talking about that today. Today we're gonna talk about bleeding. We get this question constantly from people. Yes. Um, what's normal? And, and I think we get this question a lot because bleeding, no matter what, even if it's a small amount or a large amount. We get very scared when we're bleeding in pregnancy. We, even midwives, I think, we, we like to think of bleeding as a red flag, right? Um, and usually red flags for us is a stop sign, meaning like, okay, stop whatever you're doing because we see bleeding and we don't know what's going on for sure yet. So it's good that it gives you an alarm. Bleeding should always, you should always stop and look at the situation. But we also want you to take a breath, let your shoulder drop, and know that there are things in pregnancy that can just happen normally that cause bleeding. So that's what we're going to talk about, as well as the things that maybe aren't so normal that you need to be aware of. Right. And especially in early in pregnancy, um, there's a lot of changes going on all at one time, and you are getting a little bit increased blood volume. you got baby attaching to the uterine wall. Um during, um, well, not ovulation, but as a baby starting to attach to the uterine wall, that's the first sign, first time someone might be bleeding in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And let's differentiate spotting from bleeding. Yes. Those are very, very different things. And sometimes, because we get pictures now, iPhones have changed the whole world of like, hey, show me what's going on. Yeah. Spotting is something you, you wipe and there's a little something on the paper, maybe pink to red, or maybe you have a spot on your undies. Nothing you would probably wear a pad for. Now, if you're putting on a menstrual pad and you're filling a pad, that's bleeding. Right. Uh, or if you're sitting on the toilet and it's dripping out of you, that's bleeding. That's a little bit heavier. But it's not uncommon to wipe and have pink mucusy stuff early in pregnancy. Um, sometimes it means some, nothing and sometimes it does mean something. So it's really a watch and wait. Watch and wait. And you can always reach out to your provider. They should be really open to helping you navigate that. I like to make sure people know that bleeding in pregnancy, especially in the first trimester, that can happen up to one in four pregnancies. Um, it just be a normal part. Um, and I 
I always like to explain it as the cervix, the tissue, it's almost like the inside of your nose. So the same way you can very easily get a nosebleed if you get bumped or if, if you scratch the inside of your nose, any kind of little bitty thing can give you a nosebleed. It's the same as the cervix, except on top of it being the same, you've now also got this extra fluid and vascularization and all these little vessels and they're just like raring to burst because right. they're, they're so full. We've got a lot of activity going on yeah. in that area. And what's really kind of cool, it's not like anyone ever sees it, the cervix actually, because it's got so much extra blood flow going to the uterus, the cervix actually turns blue. Um, that's kind of neat. Yep. Um, and that's all because of the extra blood flow going to Chadwick's the side. Chadwick side. Before we talk about blood coming out of the vagina, I just wanted to talk about this for a second because people get their ultrasounds back and, and this panics them a little bit. It's called lakes. So we have these small bleeds that are between the placenta and the uterus. And on an ultrasound, it, it comes back and they'll say there's a bleed. And it's really just a pocket of blood that's between, usually causes no issues at all. Uh, and it's actually very, very common. Yeah. And you might see placental lake on your ultrasound, yes. or you might see subchorionic hemorrhage, which sounds really, really scary. But mm -hmm. what it is, is a lake. I like that they use the lake term more because it's less scary. Um, and sometimes the body will just reabsorb that blood that's in that lake, or sometimes it'll just release and come out. And that looks like a full-on bleed, um, which is really scary. But if it's accompanied by no pain, no cramping, um, it's probably okay. Yes. We can't say 100% because nothing's 100%, but probably okay. It's probably okay. So that probably wouldn't come out of the vagina, but I wanted to mention it because it might come out. when we look it up, it comes up under bleeding in pregnancy. Yeah. Typically, bleeding in pregnancy is a nothing. It has to do with the way we are extra swollen with blood there, and it can happen with a sneeze. It can happen with sex. It can happen with nothing. Yep. You poop too hard, and you can break a vessel and mm -hmm. have that blood. You could be exercising. Yes. You could be... It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Some people just have a little bit more sensitivity down there, and a little broken blood vessel... You'll get a bright red bleed, and then a few days later, you'll get some brown discharge, old blood that's just going to be uh, flushed out. And it sure feels scary, mm -hmm. it and, it, and it resolves on its own, and it's normal, just like a nosebleed. But then there are bleeds that come from problems. Right. So that's what we're going to talk about now. What are these problems? And the most common problem in early pregnancy is going to be a pregnancy loss. Yes. Um, also known as a miscarriage, but really it's a loss. It, you, you love this baby and you're having a loss. And that bleeding is typically going to be accompanied by some cramping. Um, so if you've got severe cramping and you've got bleeding, then you might be experiencing the loss of that pregnancy. And that's considered anything less than 13 weeks. And anytime you're experiencing a loss, I think it's really important to reach out to somebody, a provider, even if you haven't set up care yet, at least to get some information about what would be normal and what would not be normal because there is too much bleeding. There is. And um, sometimes we don't realize that, you know, early pregnancy losses are really common. Um, about 10% of pregnancies or more, I think it's even higher. I think it's one in four, one in four pregnancies. 
um, result in a loss. And and I know this may be taboo to say, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Since 2020, when you look at the CDC report, pregnancy losses have been on the rise. So that could be from all kinds of reasons, and let's not discount stress. Stress is a big thing. Yeah. Stress is a big thing. And I think yeah. it's important to pause here and to, to and say it's nothing you did, it's nobody's fault, mm -hmm. and there's nothing you could have done differently that would have prevented it. Yeah, it's very rare um, that you can cause a loss unless you were in some severe accident or someone really kicked you in the stomach or, I mean, it's got to be an assault, a true assault on, on your body in some way. But in general, having sex isn't going to cause a miscarriage, um, living your life, even having a few drinks when you don't know you're pregnant. It's, it's pretty rare that you could do something. Yeah. And we have an loss. entire um, podcast on early pregnancy loss. We just want to know that is one cause of bleeding. Another one is infection. You might have some blood if you have a kidney infection. And even a vaginal infection, you can have some bleeding if there's any damage to the tissue. Yeah, and that could be um, BV, bacterial vaginosis. It could be a yeast infection. If it's raging and it's irritating the tissue that much, you can have a little bit of bleeding from it. The other thing you might see bleeding with, and it's going to be a pregnancy loss, I'm sorry, would be ectopic pregnancy. This is when the pregnancy did not set up in the uterus. Usually it's in the fallopian tubes, but it can be in other parts. And this this is a pregnancy that cannot survive. You, you'd have some bleeding, you probably have some pain, and you would want to call a provider and get some help. Yeah. This is an emergency. This mm -hmm. is a reason you do need to be seen. And midwives, honestly, we can't deal with an ectopic pregnancy. You would need to be um, with your OB or in the hospital OB. Yeah, um, and if you're having those symptoms, which which because the fallopian tube can actually rupture, so it causes extreme pain. So if you're having weakness and you're fainting and you're having that pain, you've seen um, bleeding, you need to get to the hospital. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, common causes for, uh, for late pregnancy bleeding, um, inflammation or gross on the cervix. So sometimes your cervix can develop little cysts on them um, and they'll break or they'll just hang out and be irritable and they can bleed. Yeah. Uh, other things would be a placental abruption in that it's the placenta actually pulling away from the wall of the uterus before birth. Um, that's a normal thing to happen after we've had a baby, but if it happens before you've had the baby, it's peeling away, but the blood is still coming out. So that's going to come out through the vagina and we need to deal with that right away. So if you see an extreme amount of blood, you need to call. Yeah. Placenta previa. So that's when the placenta covers the opening to the cervix. Typically, you can have placenta previa early in your pregnancy at 20 weeks, and most of the time they'll move away. But sometimes they won't, and that will be an increase. You could have some increased bleeding issues. And if you do, you gotta go to the hospital. You and the baby need to be monitored. They want to hold on to that pregnancy as long as possible, but sometimes you can't. Um, and you're at risk for having a preterm birth. So you, if you're having bleeding issues later in the pregnancy and you know you have a placenta previa, you need to go to the hospital. 
Yep. Because it's a big deal. Um, Sometimes you can go all the way to the end of your pregnancy with placenta previa, and you're going to get a C-section. But if you're having bleeding issues with it, don't play. No, don't play. you you got to go in. Uh, And the next one will be placenta accreta. And this is when the placenta invades the uterine wall. So so it's weaved itself in there, and it's not going to separate from the uterine wall without help because it's literally intertwined in and meshed together with the wall. And that normally that happens with delivery that we'll see that bleeding, but it's really excessive bleeding and the placenta is not going to come off of the uterus without help. Right. Have you ever seen a placenta accreta? I have seen one, but not in our practice, not at home. Yeah, I haven't seen it at home either. Uh, I heard about it once. We did have a client who we had to transfer care for placenta previa. Accreta or previa? Well, it was we transferred for placenta previa because it wasn't resolving. And then she ended up with a C-section and then was diagnosed at the C-section with accreta. Mm. So... She was one of our clients, but we it didn't happen at the birth or anything. It happened because we... So she was at the right place. She was, she was right where she needed to be, and it was appropriate. So, Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Um, so she did have that. Uterine rupture, that's not fun. No, uterine <laughs> rupture is no fun. This is usually when a hole opens in your uterus in some way. And everyone has a smile. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to sell it to my phone. Um, sorry. So there's a little bitty tear. Oh, oh, go ahead. There's a little bitty tear, and we can have bleeding there. We hear about it most of the time when we're talking about VBACs because that's um, a small increased risk when you've had a VBAC from just a normal uterus. What they don't tell us is that normal uteruses can rupture. And there is a risk there just with every single birth of having a small rupture. And you will have typically what will happen is the pulse on a mom will change. There'll be bleeding. Um, Babies don't like it. So you might hear that on the monitor. And we need to have a baby. Right? We need to have a baby then. also, and this isn't an emergency, we're going to talk about it, but bleeding can happen in labor. And I think that shocks somebody. Not just that, not just that um, pink discharge, but it, there can also be bleeding that kind of drips out. Yeah. That can be really normal. Yeah. Um, typically, the normal type of blood in labor is in early labor, you might notice every time you go to the bathroom, you wipe, and there might be a little drip, drip, drip in the toilet, but it's not excessive and it's not. A lot. It wouldn't feel a pad or anything, and that usually just means cervical change. Because again, some people have um, a more friable cervix, and mm-hmm. when that cervix opens, a little of those capillaries can break. Um, we're not too concerned about that. No. Usually, we do a little dance. We're like, whoop, whoop, cervical change happens, and some people will have that through their whole labor. Um, and usually, by the time we're complete, it stops. But because there's no more dilation yep. happening. So you might see that the whole way. But if you are having blood pouring out of you, no, not normal. Not normal. Bleeding during labor like that where you need to wear a big pad and it's soaking, that is not normal. So what do we do about bleeding? In the beginning, in the first trimester, not a whole lot. Um, there's nothing we can stop. 
an early loss. There's not much we can do about it. So we'll say things like you want to rest, pelvic rest for sure. Anytime we're bleeding, it's pelvic rest, which means nothing in the vagina. Not pelvic rest. I think some people think that pelvic rest means just no sex, but it really means nothing. Um, no oral sex, no fingers, no penises, no douches. Don't put anything in the vagina at all. No speculation. Nothing. You can go to the bathroom. That's right. Um, sometimes you might need to have some medicine if you had bleeding, if you have the negative in your blood. So if you're RH negative and there's maybe incompatibilities between your blood type and your baby's blood type, they might offer you a medication called Rogam, depending where you are in the pregnancy. Uh, we're going to tell you to rest, not just pelvic rest, but rest in general. I don't always say bed rest because I think mental health is pretty important, but we're wanting you to be in and around the bed. Yeah. Well, I don't know that bed rest is actually proven to improve outcomes, but we don't want you out doing aerobics right. and we don't want you doing strenuous things. Um, but walking around your house should be yes. fine, but we shouldn't go walk five miles. Yeah. You just want to chill. Change chill. your lifestyle. Yeah. And then the last thing would be if you're heavy bleeding, you need a pad. That is not any of those things. We need to see what's going on. So we might need some lab tests. We might need an ultrasound. We might need to put hands on and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Well, typically in our practice, if we're having some good bleeding, uh, we want you evaluated. We want someone to look in your uterus, get an ultrasound, find out what the cause is. Because I, I, I don't think we talk about this, but sometimes um, some people have cysts in their ovaries that can break open in pregnancy and they can bleed. Mm -hmm. So we would want to know about that because you don't want to be bleeding that much. So that would be another cause. Not common, but I have heard of it and have seen it. So um, we're going to want to know right away if you're having some good bleeding. Let's not play. Let's just mm -hmm. go find out what it is. And sometimes it's benign. I have had some people late in pregnancy have a good bleed and I've sent them in to be evaluated and nothing. Like, oh, no. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. And then they go home and have their home birth and everything's fine. But we want to know that it's fine before we have a And that's birth. why calling your provider is really going to help. Because yeah. sometimes it's not actually coming from the, from the vagina. You could be having a hemorrhoid that's flared mm -hmm. and you're bleeding from your butt instead of the vagina. Right. So it's important to think about the whole big picture and what's going on. We really want to know why. What's the reason? If it's a big bleed. If it's just a little bleeding, then it's kind of a watch and wait. But mm -hmm. if it's a big bleed, then no, let's find out why. Agreed. So that's it. That's all about bleeds, early and late. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.